Just last week, I started a new series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Just for the next five or six weeks, we'll be going through with this sermon that Jesus himself gave to his disciples when he retreated with his disciples away from the crowds so that he could teach them, this is what I'm on about. This is what the kingdom of heaven is about. This is what you're signing up for. For those who want to read along, we're picking it up today from Matthew chapter 5, starting from verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman woman, commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you Christians are against gay marriage because of the Bible, how come you eat bacon, huh? Have any of you ever heard an argument like that one? Doesn't your Bible say that if a kid disobeys their parents, they need to be put to death? There are two simple options for us as Christians regarding the Old Testament and the law of Moses that we see Uh, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. There are two simple options. Either it's been abolished and therefore we don't have to worry about any of it or it's enduring and we have to do exactly what it says. Jesus, when he was confronted with the question of the law, said, no, there's a third option. a more complex option. It's much harder to make sense of sometimes than just simply, yes, we follow the law so we can't eat bacon and all of those things and we we need to grow out our sideburns and all of those other parts of the law. But also more complex than just saying none of it applies so you're now free to go and murder and do whatever you like. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Instead of saying then I've, I've come to say that they're all still in force. He says, I have come to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And yet, Christians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit realise that some of, the, some of the parts of the law that were about the Jewish identity and their being set out from others were things that they didn't need to push on those Gentiles who were becoming Christians. And so we eat bacon and we can shave our sideburns and all of those other things that are part of those laws that set uh, Israel apart from the other nations. And yet other parts of the law, as we notice, and Jesus works on the Ten Commandments here, they still have much to teach us, and they all have much to teach us. Not the least least part of the law will pass away. 
Now, the law and the prophets, that was a, a common shorthand they had in Jesus' day for talking about the whole of the Old Testament. And the whole of the Old Testament is part of our scripture. It's part of God's word to us. And we can't take out any one part of it just because we don't like it. But at the same time, our relationship with the law is not the same as a Jew. We, aren't, we don't have to hold and do all of the things that the law says because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus, through his death, through his, well, first through his life, then through his death and his resurrection, has brought about much of what the law was intended to do, to show us the way to the way that God calls us to live as those who are his people and to be the means by which forgiveness can be received. As Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave his disciples this new calling to be salt and light in the world. And it raised the question of uh, his teaching and his life had raised the question of what was his position on the law. And there were all sorts of scribes and things in, in, around Jesus' time and their whole thing was about arguing about these little points of the law and what exactly, what words did you have to say in an oath for that oath to be binding? What thing did your wife have to do wrong before you were allowed to divorce her? What, were, what was the exact line before you get to sin so that we can go just right up to it but no further? And Jesus, he gives us his treatise on the law, on how we are to live. That he has come to fulfill the law. The law and the prophets point us to Jesus. They point us to our need for a saviour, for a king, for one who shows us God's, wills and God's will and God's ways, for one who can bring forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus, he makes this interesting observation that I really want to point out to us right at the start before we get into a lot of the different case studies Jesus gives us for what it means for the law to be fulfilled in him, what it looks like for us as his people to relate to the law. But he begins with this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That would have been massively confronting for the people of that day because the Pharisees kept everything to a T. They did everything in the law to the letter and then they made up some more for good measure. And they were pretty keen in, right into all of this discussing about where exactly is the line on all of these laws and as we, saw, as we see in the Gospels, they get into all sorts of disputes with Jesus because his understanding of the Sabbath is much more relaxed than their very strict understanding of everything you have to do to keep God's ways. And Jesus says, you need to be more righteous than them to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. But just before that, he said something else very interesting. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But they're still in it. 
they've broken the laws and taught others to do the same, thinking that that's the right way to go, and yet they're in the kingdom of heaven. It's almost as though something must be more important than just following all of the rules. It's almost as though there's something that matters more to God than just whether we haven't done some things. When he factors who will be entering the kingdom of heaven. Which is where Jesus takes us to with his examples, with the things that he teaches his audience about, to the heart of the law. And as you might have noticed as I was reading so many times through that, this phrase was repeated. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Blah, 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 blah. But I say, and the people were amazed that Jesus had the authority, that he had the gumption to say, I can tell you what these verses mean. I can tell you what we're supposed to do about these things for how we, his disciples, are to relate to the Old Testament law. And how in light of what what we've just seen about how the Pharisees won't make it, how Jesus is trying to lead us away from legalism, away from trying to earn our way by doing all the right actions and all the right external things to not a new legalism, Not a new set of rules that we have to keep, but to a heart that seeks God and a heart that loves our neighbours. You've heard it said, do not murder, Jesus said, from the Ten Commandments. But not doing a bad thing doesn't make us good. It just, at best, it makes us not bad. Jesus says, anyone who is angry, who hates, who insults a brother or sister is in danger of hell because it's all about the heart. Just because you haven't followed through on this hatred that you have on somebody that you'd like to see them dead doesn't make you any, well, in God's eyes, doesn't set you out that far from the person who actually goes through on it. Jesus, God looks at the heart. God doesn't call us to hate other people. But God who has loved us, even while we were his enemies, has shown us the way that we can love others, even when they have wronged us and harmed us. Jesus taught that the centre of the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. All of the other commandments hang under these. The law can't mandate those things. The law can only restrict you from doing bad things, but it can't make you love people. It can't make you love God. It can only only punish certain unloving behaviour. Only the Spirit of God can help us to love God and love our neighbour. We don't get to hate people even if we don't go on and do anything about it. That's not the life Jesus has demonstrated for us. 
who loved even those who put him on the cross. And we need to be careful that we don't show contempt for the love that we have been shown by failing to show love for others, even the difficult others. And Jesus gives a similar example for adultery. doesn't matter if you don't touch someone. If you really, really want to, you, you've already, your, your mind, your heart, you've already started down that path. If you, uh, yeah, if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this is not talking about a, a pure sexual attraction that, that should exist between a husband and a wife, but this is talking about a, a lust for somebody who we shouldn't be lusting after because they're not. They're not our husband or our wife. Uh, not somebody that we should be thinking about in those terms. Even though we know that there is forgiveness for sins, that Jesus offers us forgiveness on the cross. Jesus warns us in that passage, talking about how we, we you know, don't, if you lust after somebody, it's like you've committed adultery in your heart. He goes on to warn us to take sin very seriously. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. We can take Jesus seriously without taking him literally on that point. Jesus was, uh, was known to use metaphor and to use very strong examples. And the fact that we know that none of the disciples dismembered themselves suggests to us that they did probably understood Jesus to not be meaning to take that point literally, that we go cut our eyes out or gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands. But it's a fairly stark warning, isn't it? That sin is not just something to be, oh, oh well, I sinned, it's okay, it'll be taken care of. We trust that every time we do sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and true and he will forgive us. But it's not something to be blasé about. Instead, it's something that Jesus calls us, take action. Look at the things that you, are, you find yourself commonly tempted to do and take action to make it much harder for you to do those things. Take action to keep, on, keep in control of your temper. Take action to keep in control of where your eyes go. Take action and take it seriously because sin does matter even though we trust in him for forgiveness. And Jesus turns from that point, he turns from that part of the law about marriage and adultery. And he turns to the subject of divorce. And I mentioned that there were the great debates about divorce in Jesus' day. And, and one, of, one of the great schools, one of the great... Um, no, the Hillel school is the other one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But one of the great, great Jewish rabbis with his, with his um, disciples who taught the same ideals as him taught that 
there was, there was only one thing that you could do, uh, one thing that your wife could do that would make it that you could divorce her. Remember, we're talking about a very patriarchal society. The men had the power. And the debate was all about what, what can, when can a man divorce his wife? What does she have to get wrong before he can divorce her? And so this one school was that only unfaithfulness, only breaking that marriage covenant can do it. And there was another very influential school that said, if she just does just about anything to displease you, even if the wife serves up burnt food to her husband, that is grounds for divorce if he wants it to be. Remembering here that Jesus is talking to the men who are looking for a justification to divorce their wives, he just tells them, don't do it. You shouldn't be looking for what can get you out of the vows that you made. That's not what comes from a heart of love for God and for your neighbour. Instead, keep your vows. Although he does give the one exception of unfaithfulness. And even there, it's not commanded that divorce is necessary, but just that it might be allowed. Now, I know this is a tough subject. I know that we have a few here in this church who are divorced and some, again, who are remarried. And I know this is a hard subject because for a lot of people, this was something that was taken out of your hands. Divorce was not something that, was, that you chose, but that it was thrust upon you. And I don't think Jesus is really talking to you in these verses. Jesus is talking to the one who wants to leave the relationship and break their vows without regard for the other. And Jesus is giving them a whack that they probably deserve. A loving heart doesn't kick someone out because they want to trade up. It's what Jesus is telling us. And there are other passages in, this, in, the, um, yeah, in the Scriptures, particularly 1 Corinthians 7, which seems to suggest that if, you know, particularly where, where you've got a spouse that is an unbeliever, Paul tells them, if they're happy to live with you, if you're, they're happy to still be married, then by all means keep the marriage. God wants marriage to last. We've made vows, it's supposed to last. But if they decide they're out, it's not your fault. You're not bound anymore by the vows that you made because they have broken that commitment. So even though that's a bit outside of our passage today, I just wanted to bring that in because I know that this, this is a difficult thing for some of us. And I don't think Jesus has anything hard to say to anyone who is divorced not because of their own choice. The next thing Jesus goes on to challenge the people about is oaths and I mentioned before that there are all these arguments about what words you had to say for an oath to be legally binding and Jesus just says enough with all of that. Just do what you said you were going to do. You shouldn't need any more of an oath than just to say, yes, I'll do it. And people should know that you'll do it because you said, yes, I'll do it. You shouldn't need to swear by heaven or by the earth or by Jerusalem. So again, 
sometimes Jesus is teaching us against legalism. And sometimes we can get that a little bit wrong and we can take these things legalistically and people can, there are people who've been uh, throughout history really worried about they can't take the oath uh, if they're in a courtroom, if they're told to, to make the oath. They can't make the oath because Jesus has told them not to make oaths, but that's not really the point Jesus is saying. He's not saying never make an oath or else, you know, that's a sin. But do what you say, mean what you say. When we love others, when we respect others, that leads to a sincerity in what we say, that we don't try to find loopholes that we can wriggle out of the things that we've committed ourselves to do, but that we're just truthful and do what we've committed to. Jesus challenges them about retribution, about an eye for an eye. Now, the, the whole eye for an eye thing was there to limit revenge. It was to stop the one where, okay, so-and-so took my eye, so I killed him, and then his family responded, they killed me and all of my family, and then suddenly we have a whole you know, clan war going on. The eye for an eye was to limit revenge so that you didn't have that escalation. But Jesus takes it further. Respond with love to insult and personal injustices. To be willing to lay down our rights for love for others. The Jewish people, under their law, nobody had the right to claim uh, their cloak. But Jesus tells them, if someone sues you for, for your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Loving others with the love that God has loved us with is more important than always insisting on our rights. Now, I want to be clear, we still want to be forthright for the rights of others who are uh, being oppressed in our society. We can be forthright for the rights of others, but when it's just our rights at stake, sometimes there's more important things than insisting on getting my own rights. And finally, Jesus calls us to love not just our neighbours, uh, but also our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Why? Well, because that's what God does, Jesus tells us. He gives good things to all the people in the world, those who love him and those who don't. And he does that with the aim that everybody can see the goodness of God and have a chance to respond to it in their life. God loved us even when we were still his enemies. Now, I've tried to touch on each of those things that, that Jesus, each part of the law that Jesus uh, spoke through very quickly. You could do a whole sermon on each one of these. But I wanted to keep them together to show how Jesus uses the law. That pleasing God, that being the people that God wants us to be is not just about what we shouldn't do, but about what we should do. That we should seek to show love in every situation as God has loved us. A love that stands out. And Jesus points out, if you just love those who, who love if you just love the people who love you, everybody does that. But instead, they're to know that we're Christians 
by our love. A love that stands out from that of the world. A love that loves even our enemies. That doesn't insist on our rights and getting our own way. A love that refuses to hate a brother or sister even in our heart. But always to seek their good. For love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus frees us from legalism, from having to cross every T and dot every I to a better way, better than what the Pharisees did because their way didn't lead to heaven. He calls us to love for God and love for neighbour. And so Jesus finishes with his final word on how we relate to the law. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There you go, that's, that's easy, go do that. Jesus has shown us throughout this, um, the way he's, he's expounded the law, the way he's taught the law there, that even though somebody might be able to keep the law legalistically, they, they might be able to do all the actions, no one can keep it perfectly in our hearts all of the time. Every single one of us is probably confronted somewhere by that list of things Jesus has gone through and realised even if we don't always get those things wrong, we've certainly gotten them wrong sometimes. But let me tell you something. You can be perfect as our Father, Heavenly Father is perfect. How? Because Jesus is perfect. And his perfection can be yours. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the way that we've got things wrong. He sees the perfection of Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, through believing in him as our Lord and Saviour, the Bible teaches us that he went and he died on that cross so that he who had no sin could be sin for us. That our sins would be counted to him and he would face the punishment that it deserved so that his perfection could be counted to us so that we can have the eternity with God that Jesus has earned for us. How do we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Only by grace. Only by trusting that in Jesus, God sees us as perfectly righteous. As Jesus has taught us today, that doesn't mean that we take sin lightly. It doesn't mean that we take avoiding sin lightly. It doesn't mean that we don't seek to live how Jesus calls us to here with a sacrificial love. But it means that we have a trust. We have a hope that it's not in us always getting everything right, but it's in he who always got everything right. And so because he has saved us, because he has forgiven us, because he has loved us with a love that we couldn't deserve, we go out and we live this love that Jesus has taught us to others. 
Imagine a world where everybody perfectly did all of the things Jesus said in this, in this section here. Well, that's the world we're looking forward to. That's the world he's training us for, where we love one another and we love God. Perfectly. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've taught us. Sometimes some of the things that we see in your word and the things that you preach are very confronting. But we thank you that they come from the one who loved us so much that he died in our place. That gives us a hope that we can be sure of. That we might be in the kingdom of heaven, not because we've crossed every T and dotted every I, like the Pharisees, because their way didn't even lead to heaven. But because we have put our trust in you. And we have followed you. And by your spirit, you have taught us, bit by bit, to love God with all our heart and love our neighbour as ourselves. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn this morning is Saviour, thy dying love, thou gavest me. And speak.